I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome in to It's Utah as well. Tom Hackett, Steve Barth. We do apologize. My goodness, do we apologize. We were unable to record an episode last week. And you know what? It's not on you, Steve. It's not on really anybody but me. And I, I, I want to take full responsibility and, and say I do apologize. Things got out of hand last week. And uh, there was just, look, especially later on in the week when we like to record, that's when the news started piling on. Next mm-hmm. thing I know, I was at high school football Friday evening, and I thought, oh, my goodness, we haven't recorded an It's Utah's World episode, and the people deserve better. Dang it. Tom, you know, I understand, and I hope that the people understand, too. Last weekend got crazy with the Pac-12 announcing they were coming back. It got busy, like you said, and so I no hard feelings here on my end, and I hope that the people, our listeners, feel the same way as well. I hope that they are understanding, and I hope they they aren't too bothered and that they were actually out celebrating with masks on, of course, uh, that Pac-12 football is back. That, that, that is the news that we will continue to talk about in more detail, of course, during this episode. But boy, let us all rejoice, if we haven't already, for just a split second. How good does it feel to just know that the University of Utah, led by, of course, their fearless leader, Kyle Whittingham, will be trotting out onto a somewhat, somewhat Rice Eccles Stadium. They're doing bloody renovations up there at the minute. They don't have a locker room, so what's going I don't know, they're going to put up some tents or something. It'll look like a bloody, you know, what you go to most weeks. You know, one of them seven-on-seven tournaments, you got the Utah Utes tents up and the lads getting changed in there. Woo, let's go. Man, that was, that was fantastic. That was a rant. That's, that's what we call a rant there, people. And, and, yeah, you know, it's exciting. Kyle Whittingham. And his crew, regardless of what's going on, like, yeah, there's construction. Who cares? You know, we're, we're ready. That's what Kyle Whittingham is saying. We're ready. We'll be playing. We don't need locker rooms. We no. don't need them. Like, no. put us in tents. Put us in teepees. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Yes, let's go. Yes, this isn't a Victoria's Secrets model for crying out loud. He'll tell the lads, we're here to play football. <laughs> and then they'll get all juiced up and go out and smack whoever they're off with. Uh, nonetheless, look, okay, so we do have a bit to decipher. In all seriousness, um, we are, ooh, what, what, how, I guess we're like five and a half weeks away 38 now. days. Oh, I knew somebody would be counting and it happened to be Steve Bartle. Uh, 38 days, there you go. So just over a month, essentially. Um, 
until you, now we don't have the exact schedule, but that that's right. that's okay. We do know a few a few tidbits of information, uh, and they're they're certainly worth getting to because uh, I, I you know I don't know how much it's been discussed, and I'm sure there are many of our listeners that may not know uh, what home games are going to take place. So Utah will host uh, the University of Arizona and USC. Uh, again, the dates of those games, we don't know. And then they'll travel to Colorado, Arizona State, and UCLA. Now, they will host another game. You may be thinking, well, why are they only playing two games at home, three on the road? Uh, they will host uh, another game, and, and that will be uh, at home. But, but that opponent is, is unknown. Am I correct? Is that correct, Steve, or am I getting that wrong? At least not known publicly. I, I've talked to somebody that um, shared with me that these programs are operating under the assumption that they know who each of these six games are going to be. It's just figuring out the dates. We don't know what that sixth game is going to be. It's going to be a cross-divisional uh, opponent where it'll be a North Division team. So uh, likely Oregon State, which was going to be a scheduled home game for Utah this season on the regular schedule um, so, you know, we'll see. We don't know who, who it's going to be uh, just yet, but uh, it is. it should be a home game. It, it, I mean, it's going to be a home game. They're going to have – each program is going to have three home, three away, and, and then they'll have a seventh game as well. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun to see how it all comes out. But, yeah, three home games, three away games. Yeah, that'll, that'll be cool. Uh, I don't know if they're going to play all their conference games first or if they're going to mix – the non-conference, oh, sorry, not non-conference, but non-divisional game. Are they going right. to? Do, do we know if they're going to play that kind of in the middle of all the the divisional games, or are they going to play that non-divisional game maybe after the five divisional games have been played? Do we know that yet? I I don't know. I haven't been told that there was that what way they were thinking. Okay. Um, I, they may play. It would make sense to me uh, to take care of your divisional games first. Uh, but again, I, I think. These are all conference games, so really, what does it matter? Um, so I, I haven't been told which way they're they're thinking with that either. But my only thought surrounding that would be if they do play that that uh, Pac-12 North opponent at home, uh, you would assume, and they play that after all of the Pac-12 South teams have played one another. You would assume Utah's first game uh, upon return would be on the road because they have three road divisional games right. and uh, just two uh, at home. But look, it doesn't matter in the end, does it, Steve? Because there's going to be no fans in attendance. So either way, if uh, if you're excited or not, you'll be able to watch them. They'll be on the television, but but you're not going to be able to attend. What what did you make of the decision uh, by the, the Pac-12 CEO group, Larry Scott and company, for not allowing fans at any of the Pac-12 venues this season? Well, I think with... Um with the, uh, the pandemic in, in certain areas, particularly California, um, I think it makes a lot of sense. They're going to be dealing with a lot of restrictions. And so rather than put that on, uh, put that onus on the decision makers at each of these programs, they took that decision away, basically taking something off of their plate, particularly for Utah. That's going to be an important thing because Mark Harlan's got a lot on his plate right now. He's got to figure out where to put these guys in locker rooms. Like, we joke about it. They don't need them. But, yeah, they, they still kind of need some locker rooms. Uh, and so, you know, he's got to handle the, the logistics of putting that all together. Um, and so I think it, it makes a lot of sense to not have fans, to eliminate as much risk as possible. Um, in a, a season where we've seen, 
I think over 20, I think that number is nearing 25, if not 30 games that have been postponed or canceled uh, because of pandemic reasons. I think it makes a lot of sense just to eliminate that risk, uh, to avoid having any crowd of any size. Um, it just, it, it makes a lot of sense to me in my mind. What, what did you think of it? No, I, I 100% agree with you, Steve. Now, I, I will concede, I, I, I was under the, uh, I, the thought process that, you know, allowing, let's just say Utah allowed 20% of their fans inside Rice-Eccles right. Stadium. It's r- roughly, I, I don't know, 12,500. 8,000, yeah, 12. Some, yeah. 8 to 12, whatever. It, I haven't done the exact mm-hmm. math, but it's somewhere around there. And, and you think, well, you know, is that really going to affect the bottom dollar? by the time this fiscal year is all said and done. Uh, and I f- originally thought that it probably wasn't going to, but then you have to think about it. If Utah was expected to lose $60 million if they didn't play in foot, if they didn't play any full sports, specifically football, you'd have to think eight to 12-odd thousand ticket sales plus the concessions and, uh, uh, and, and the food right. and drink and all that goes into it, you know, you'd have to think that it probably would actually affect the bottom dollar over the course of, you know, you've got three home matches. So you, obviously you times everything by three, uh, you know, that, that that's probably a decent chunk of cash that the university is going to miss out on. So in that sense, you know, it's, it is a shame. Uh, and mm-hmm. I do feel for Mark Harlan and Kyle Brennan and, you know, the group up there on the Hill that's in charge of, of managing the finances because they're in a very tricky spot. And, and if you're not keeping up, it still seems like a number of those Utah athletic employees that were furloughed are uh, still furloughed they're still kind of taking a very cautious approach to all of that so um but at the same time i I agree with you and i think right now what's more important is uh keeping people alive if 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 you want to say it quite bluntly i mean it's just the safer it's the safer option um keeping whether we're keeping people alive or we're keeping the game alive you know i think you do everything in your power absolutely everything in your power to make, do everything you can to make sure that football matches are being played uh, when the season returns in the Pac-12. And if you allow fans, you're not doing that. You're doing student-athletes and, and everybody else that's trying to make uh, forge a living, if you will, um, the disservice. Because so, so long story short, I, I do agree. I think it was the right. smart decision, uh, and I do think it was the right decision. Although, look, it, it, it would be nice to have that little extra money to, to be flowing into the athletic department. But they're just going to rely heavily now on television money and right. television revenue, which, by the way, is still pretty good. And I imagine the buzz, certainly here on the West Coast, uh, is going to be quite high once Pac-12 football returns. So I assume that the television revenue is, is going to be pretty significant. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And as you were talking about it and, and, and talking about the, the dire situation that Utah and, and frankly, all of these programs are in uh, with the, the amount of loss that they're going to be suffering uh, this year without fans in the stadiums. Like, I, it, the, the wheel started to turn in my head that, you know, would it be worth it to have 20% of your capacity in the stands? Um, would that risk mean more bringing in that revenue would it mean more to take that risk or or you know how damaging would it be to have fans in the stands for two games but then you lose a game because you know uh, you had an outbreak of some sort you know there's just that there's so much risk 
involved with this. And that's what this is all about is risk management. And, and, and I think, you know, the, the PAC 12's decision again, to just take that off of the plate, take that, take that off the plate of, of the ADs of the presidents and chancellors um, to eliminate that, to minimize the risk of these games, these few games that these teams have uh, to capitalize on those TV contracts. Um, You know, that's, that's really the, the smart choice here. It's unfortunate because I know fans want to be there. I know fans want to show their support. And frankly, you know, it's been weird to watch football games without fans in the stands to have, to know that fans aren't there at the stadium, but to still hear, you know, crowd noises as you're watching these NFL games. It's just weird. Like it's, it's, it's such a surreal feeling. And, and that's, that's going to continue. That's going to just be something that we have to deal with. It's going to be weird. Uh, But again, I think you may, you play it safe um, and you minimize as much risk as possible in order to, um, take advantage of these TV contracts and, and to secure that as part of your bottom line, because, you know, I, I think that's, that's most important is making sure that you play each of these six, seven games that you're going to have this season. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and it's yeah. worth noting. I know there are a lot of people obviously that listen to this podcast within the state of Utah. Uh, and for those people in particular, um, the state of Utah is, is kind of uh, an anon- anomaly try and spit that out it's not as easy as it sounds but um when it comes to fans in the stands like i know high school football's having fans in the stands if you're a soccer fan real salt lake are having a handful of thousand fans in the stands as well it, the rest of the world just about uh it isn't allowing it like it, you go look at, at europe right now in fact i just got got done watching a soccer match uh that was being played in north london and and england united kingdom as a whole is doing much better from a positive case standpoint than what North America is doing. And they're still not allowing fans in the stands. So I think, um, I, I do think uh, the whole high school football allowing fans uh, in certain areas, of course, a few now have been locked down, but, um, and then of course, Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake is like one of three teams, if I'm not mistaken, that are, ha- that are allowing spectators within the confines of their stadium. And that's a league that has 26 teams. And so the vast majority of, of teams ac- across right. North America and the world are not allowing fans. So um, I just thought I'd add that because I'm sure there are a lot of Utah-based people that are kind mm. of scratching their head. Like, you know, I don't, I don't understand why. Well, it's not unusual for this to happen. In fact, the vast majority of the rest of the world's population is, is dealing with, with the same thing and have been for quite some time. So count your blessings that you're actually still able to go to Utah high school football matches or Real Salt Lake games or whatever you're into because uh, not, not many people out there can. Um, hey, there was other news and, and kind of the news just kept piling on and we can move on from obviously the big announcement that is the Pac-12 returning, Steve. But uh, on top of that, shortly after, or really around about the same time, rather, UCLA Bruins 247 website released an article and within that, um, they stated that, that, that if the Pac-12 wasn't going to return this year, uh, USC was going to go independent and essentially leave the conference. And I do believe for only a season and the university of Utah was the other team mentioned. They were going to, they were going to join the big 12 for just like a, a loan, I guess for the yeah. season and then come back the following year and play in the past. What did you make of that? Because when I first heard that news, I was blown away, but then the more I thought about it, the more it actually 
it actually made more sense to me. And I was surprised that there weren't other teams, and maybe there were, but they, they haven't been mentioned, other teams around the league that, that tried to do the same thing. What, what did you make of the situation? Well, I mean, I think my initial reaction to, this, to that whole report was like, well, hell yeah. You know, you love to hear Utah throwing their weight around a little bit. You know, they're, they're at the top of the conference now. Uh, they're, they're top of the South division. Like, yeah, throw that weight around. Like, let them know. Like, you, you know, you're the guy, you know, that's, that's making those threats. Like, it felt cool to, to read that line. Utah threatened to leave the back to, to the Big 12 if the Pac-12 didn't play. Like, that felt good to read that. But uh, as, as I thought about it, like, to me, um, you know, and, and we've, we've since reported, we'll, we'll discuss it, but, like, as I continue to think about it, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what to think of it. Um, you know, as I reached out to others, like, the, the surprise and the shock uh, in, in me telling them that this has been reported uh, was, was definitely a, a big surprise to them. Um, it's out of character, I think, for, for Utah. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it, it was, like I said, like it was cool to read it initially. But I think as you started, at least for me, as I started to think about it, I just, it, it felt so out of character. It didn't, didn't seem right to me, at least. I, I think, um, but, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thought process on it then, because I, I think to me, I listen, it sounds like it made sense to you. Like, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I, I would be hard pressed to, um, to say that athletic directors in the conference and look, they're never going to admit this because they'd be foolish right. to do so. But I do think that most athletic directors in the, in the conference are probably a little tired of Larry Scott as the yeah. fan base is, I mean, like, look, it's no secret. He, he isn't a very beloved figure. He hasn't been for nearly right. a decade now. I mean, honestly, I remember, uh, and not to toot my own ho- horn here, but I remember um, uh, being able to attend after I made uh, one of my, my accolades. I, I was on the Pac-12 All Century team, and I went out there to, to San Jose, uh, San Francisco area, and I attended uh, one of the championship games. It was USC and Stanford. Uh, it must have been 2015. But anyway, nonetheless, I remember the, people were booing him then. And, and, yeah. and he actually presented me with like this, uh, this pretty cool like Centurion um, football jersey. And, 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 you know, everybody was like, oh, like, uh, you should probably wash that, you know. And it's like, wow, okay. Uh, but like, he had, uh, like, yeah, my point is he hasn't been loved for so long. So the mistakes that he's made or uh, his unwillingness to work with athletic directors, presidents, whatever – you know, and so I just think, I think personally, Mark Harlan is is the type of guy that he doesn't, if his football team's ready to play and he's looking down the barrel of $60 million deficit, then why would he just sit there and, right. and say, oh, you know, cop it on the chin, you know, nothing we can do about it when maybe there is something we can do about it. So, you know, I, that's why I say I'm, I'm surprised more. Um, more, more teams, more programs, more athletic departments. So I'm surprised they didn't do the same thing. Like, hold on a second. Well, let's just pump the brakes for a split. There are three Power Five conferences playing football. We're one of them that's not, but we're going to lose $60 million because of it. Uh, yet, 
we're doing everything we can to keep our guys healthy. BYU down the road's playing. They're only testing three times a week. We can easily test three times a week. We don't need the Pac-12's help to test three times a week. We can play football. Let's go play football, get some television money, and keep some jobs around here because right. it's so bad and doom and gloom and, and, and nobody's having a good time. And, you know, so, right. like, of course it made sense. It's like, especially, like, What's the Pac-12 going to do? Oh, you can't join the Big 12? Well, why? Because we're not... And if they say, well, if you join the Big 12, you're not coming back. You think there's... You think you think Utah wouldn't be... And even if the Pac-12 weren't to invite them back, another Power 5 conference has taken them. For crying out loud, they've made the champion, championship game the last two years. They're, they're, they're getting big recruits. They're making... They sell out every... I mean, it's a, it's a good program now not that it wasn't before i should say but now it's, at it's a, on a different level sure i think it's a, yeah i think it's fair to say that the program's at a different place than what it was even when i played and i got done five years ago I and mean, the program right now is 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 at far greater heights and so i guarantee you the big 12 would say oh the pac 12 are not letting you back in well hmm let let me let us think as to whether or not we invite you in full term and of course they're going to i mean so yeah i wasn't surprised uh, does that make it any sense, or am I kind of just rambling? No, I, when you're as you're talking about Mark Harlan, you know I, you know I yeah I know like Mark Harlan is when there's some sort of issue, like he's going to address it, he's going to call you out, and he's going to put you on the spot, and he's going to you know just put you he's he's going to do what he feels is best for his program. And I think that's the thing that we've learned about Mark Harlan in his time here. You know, he's willing to go out, schedule these teams, these Florida teams, these Arkansas teams. He's willing to do what needs to be done in order to put out a good product. Um, and, and, and not to, to, to say that in a way that it's, it's simply entertainment uh, because that's not Mark Harlan's job. Like his job, once they announced that they had to let people go and that there were going to be uh, massive furloughs. Like that's when the reality of the situation really kind of started. And these guys are are so far ahead of this. Like this is stuff that they've been talking about for months. But for us, I think the reality started to settle in when, when they announced those things And, and yeah, it became not necessarily life or death, but you're talking about people and, earning uh, their living and, and losing their jobs. And once uh, he was faced with that and Utah was faced with that as a whole, like, yeah, I think it makes sense for Mark Harlan to do all that he can to make those threats, you know? So yeah, I could absolutely see it happening. Um, and I, you know, I've spoken to people um, <clears throat> and we've, we got official word from Utah athletics that that event did not happen, that, Utah did not threaten to leave for the Big 12. So we've got, a, got it officially on record. And I've talked to enough people to, to, to also verify that and, and, you know, verify the veracity of, of that uh, not happening as well. But still, like, I, I think without question, Mark Harlan um, was willing to do all that, it, all that was required of him to make sure that there was football. Um, as soon as it was um, on the table that a Pac-12 season – you know, was a possibility. I heard he was pushing for October 31st, that very first night within hours uh, of there being talk of a Pac-12 season. I was told that he was pushing hard for an October 31st start because he wanted to get his guys on the field as soon as possible. He wanted to be just, and, and just 
again, it, it just makes, it makes sense. And, and your logic makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, you know, it, it would have been, it'd be fascinating, you know, if he actually yeah. did say that, but you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't think he did. And maybe he didn't. I haven't, uh, I haven't reached out and, and spoken to anybody and, and, and verified any of it. So I'm going to believe you and say that he, they, they probably didn't. But yes, you know, either yes way. please do, because I, I reported it. So please do believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always believe you, Steve. Don't worry. I'm on your side. I'm a good guy, not a bad guy. Now, I will say it's worth noting, too, that, that, that Mark Harlan wouldn't be doing his job, right, if he wasn't yeah. doing everything he can to try and keep his employees paid. Right. <laughs> Like that's his role is to keep the athletic department afloat during tough times. And to say that we're in a tough time right now is an understatement. They are hanging on for dear life. You know, can you imagine trying to play, pay a mortgage and you, you, you know, you've only been in the industry for a couple years. You're not making a ton of money. How, I mean, it's just, you've got to, otherwise it's, it's complete and utter chaos. And I think, his role right now as the leader of the athletic department is to do everything he can to bring money into the department in a safe yeah. and humane manner. And if that meant leaving the Pac-12 because they're not playing football, then so be it. That's the Pac-12's loss. Um, and that's why I was surprised. And I also want to give some insights while we're, while we're talking about this quickly. When Mark Harlan took the job, as athletic director, I reached out and I, I requested a meeting with him uh, because I wanted to get to know him more and kind of figure out what he's all about. And I remember sitting in his office um, and speaking to him at length for about an hour. Uh, and something that really stood out to me is, 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 is when he started talking about some of the employees up on the hill that had been working there for a while. And he mentioned sometimes when you find yourself in the same position or within the same, uh, within the same organization uh, for some time, you can get a little lackadaisical and you can kind of go through the motions and think everything's going to be okay. And he said, look, one of the first things I said to all of my employees, to all of the, the, the coaches um, out there, the assistant coaches, I said, look, if you don't win – your job will not be safe. And and he even told me a story. He said um, the Utah women's soccer team, they got off to a horrible start that season. And then they actually ended on like a 10-game unbeaten streak. But because of how poor the start was, they didn't make the tournament for women's soccer, the NCAA tournament. And uh, somebody within the soccer team went up to Mark Harlan at the end of the season and said, how awesome was it that we finished the season on a 10 game unbeaten streak or it was something like that. You know, it might not have been 10 games, but it was a, a decent unbeaten streak. And, and he goes, yeah, no, that was great, but you didn't make the tournament. So why does it matter? And they were taken aback by that. And they said, Oh my word, you know, like I thought he hey. was going to be quite chuffed. He, I mean, he just—he's a winner, and yeah. and that's my point. And 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 the same the same thing can be said in this situation. It, he needs to win, and whether it's financially, whether it's on the field, on the court, whatever it is, he will find a way to get his programs to win matches, both financially 
and on paper when it comes to win, the win-loss record. So I think, I think people out there need to also realize that's just who Mark is. It's one of the right. reasons he's uh, so beloved and so successful. Look, I've also heard that he's an incredibly difficult man to work for. Yeah. And for, for, for reasons I just spoke about. I mean, he demands excellence. And I think any good leader does. Uh, and, it, and it brings the best out of people. Uh, and it may be tough and it may be hard. But at the end of the day, everything benefits the athletic department, Steve. And that's the bottom line. That's all fans care about. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the same things can be said about Kyle Whittingham, that he, he can be difficult to work for. And that's because he demands excellence. And, it, you know, he demands so much of his coaches and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I know Mark Harlan and, and, you know, I've had some, some conversations with him and, and that kind of thing. And he's always been a very nice guy and, and seeing how he's managed this whole thing. Like I, me knowing that he was one of the more aggressive ADs and pushing for an October 31st start, but he always appeared um, and was respectful to those that were in those leadership positions as difficult as that may be considering what we're going through. Um, you know, it, it speaks to just who he is. Um, I have a lot of respect for Mark Harlan. I, I know, you know, this, this whole thing has been really enlightening to make a decision to furlough yourself, to furlough others, to have those difficult conversations um, with people that have been there for some time. It's tough. It's not easy, but it requires leadership. It requires that effort. Um, you know, and he went ahead and, and, and had those conversations and made that decision. And that's, to me, that spoke a lot to me about who he is as a leader. And I think for, for Utah fans, it's been, you know, we're talking about Larry Scott here. Yeah, fans are frustrated with him. And almost at every opportunity, you're seeing fans on Twitter tagging Mark Harlan with the, the, the hashtag fire Larry Scott um, hashtag and, and you know, it, it's, it is what it is. Like Larry Scott, you know, who knows what his future holds. But I think Utah fans need to understand that there is good leadership up on the hill with Mark Harlan leading the way. Um, and, and, you know, he's doing as, as good a job as you could hope. And he's making difficult decisions, but he's doing it because it's, it's required of him. And, and so he's, he's going to do all that he can to ensure that his program uh, is in a good position moving forward. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's fascinating. Yeah. We could talk about it for hours, I'm sure, but, but the man is, uh, the man is, is pretty good at, at what he does. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do have to say, and, uh, he has my complete and, uh, and, and utmost respect. So, um, anyway, let's move on to, uh, to a few more, uh, different subjects. Obviously, there are there is some recruiting news that we do need to get to some recruiting. But uh, uh, let's let's talk about this quickly. And and the conversation surrounding this subject doesn't need to be long. But uh, look, the second the Pac-12 announced it's returning, uh, CBS Sports and other national outlets, but in this case, CBS Sports was the first one to start uh, trying to predict the bowl season. Uh, and ironically and interestingly, uh, the Utes. Steve, uh, scheduled, according to CBS Sports, of course, to play Pittsburgh uh, in the Holiday Bowl. So the same opponent they faced in the old Fiesta Bowl, uh, a little rematch between the Utes and Pitt in the Holiday Bowl, which uh, is is the Holiday Bowl still down in, in San Diego? Yeah, I believe so. It's the one that they played Northwestern in, right? Ooh, yeah, I, I think should so. know because I was there. 
Yeah, I was there way, too. That game, man. Like I, I remember quickly. I remember going down to San San Diego and thinking, "This is awesome," you know. Like, yeah, Christmas tacos, time. man. It's bloody cold in Utah. Let's get down there, spend New Year's Eve, have a raging old time, you know, down there in San Diego on the beach, you know, sipping on the whatever you want to sip on. For me, it's something way too strong for for my. Uh... Anyway, uh, and the game, um, freezing cold. Do you remember? It was that? awful. It was so cold. And like the press box had an open window, so like the rain is like just coming in through the like you're in a press box getting rained on. What the heck is that all about? What the hell, San Diego? What the hell are you doing, dude? I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was in, uh, I was on USC's campus. Can't remember what I was doing there, but I was there nonetheless. And uh, it started to rain in the middle of the afternoon, and everyone's freaking out. And they're like, it never rain. It rains three. It rains three days a, a year here. And I was like, oh, that's good because I'm here then. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. They're like, and, in, and I remember they said in San Diego, it rains one day a year. It rains less in San Diego. So I, I, when, when rain started to fall that night against Northwestern, I was pissed because I didn't pack for rain. I didn't pack for that. I was freezing my bloody tail off down there on the sideline thinking, I don't get paid enough to do this. Get me out of here. I'm going to catch a cold for crying out loud. Anyway. That was a bad game too, Northwest. That game that, sucked. Oh, for multiple reasons. Uh, yeah, the obvious sucked. being Utah lost. Uh, yeah, it was painful. Gave up a big lead at, at halftime. Anyway, all right, recruiting news. Where do you want to start? Because there are there have been a few uh, commitments, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Utah picked up two commitments over the weekend, and and both of them, surprise, surprise, are defensive players. Uh, Utah's really loading up on defense in this cycle, and uh, in you know the light, the latest two that they picked up. Man, there's a lot to like about these guys. Um, you know, we could start with the, the, the one that happened on Saturday with, uh, with Veltre Jefferson. He's out of Edison High School in Fresno, California. Um, that is also the home of T-Boney, Tyrone Young-Smith, um, who's been at Utah. I think he's now – this is now his seventh year at Utah, sixth or seventh year. He was there when been I there was there. Been there a minute. Yeah. That's saying something. But, but he's been there – He's you know, he's he's gonna play. He's gonna be a senior this season. He can play next year because he's still got a he's still got the whip. That's great. Okay, anyway, sorry. Uh sidetrack there. Um sorry. <laughs> I can't believe that. Uh, Yo, wait, hold on a second. You're telling me T Boney has this year and next still? He'll be a senior this year. The blanket waiver, he can play next year too. Like <laughs> he Is could he almost 30? play a decade. He could almost play a decade at Utah. That's unheard of. That just clicked in my head. That's crazy. For, for me to think that I could still be going into that facility to work out and all that, <laughs> like now, I mean, I, I wouldn't have a head because I'd chop it off. I'd be that frustrated. I'd be angry. I'd be like, why am I still here? This place sucks. I mean, and don't get me crazy. wrong, I loved it when I was there. But four years, when, you're, when you get done with four years, personally, oh, I'm sure. like, I don't get paid enough Good. to come back for a fifth, man. I am done. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah, T-Bone, that's crazy. Crazy. Wow. Yeah, that'll, it could, like, that's, okay, anyway, sorry. Anyway, so Veltre Jefferson comes from the same high school as uh, T-Bone, uh, and He's a big guy, 6'4", 230 pounds, originally committed to USC as a sophomore. 
and he committed to USC as a wide receiver, which kind of speaks to his athleticism. Uh, very big, very athletic type of a guy. Um, what he shared with us uh, in a conversation with Brendan Huffman, one of our national recruiting analysts, uh, was Kyle McDonald basically told him, like, look, like you're a good receiver, but you're a million-dollar linebacker. And that really stuck with, with Jefferson. And so Kyle McDonald continued to recruit him uh, despite his commitment to USC, despite others like Washington, Tennessee, um, Arizona State, and others getting in the mix. Kyle McDonald just kind of slowly but surely uh, recruited and, and, and made his pitch to Jefferson. And he decided to announce his commitment on Saturday it was a big-time recruiting victory, just considering the offers that Jefferson holds. But this dude is six foot four. He's two hundred thirty pounds. He plays multiple positions. He primarily plays as like a middle linebacker for his high school team. And you watch his tape, and it's entertaining um, as hell. Like he's a giant at, at linebacker, but he's just as athletic as anybody on the field. And the dude is a hammer. Like he is a guy that will hit um, and will hit violently. Uh, so uh, he's coming to Utah as kind of that Trevor Riley, Nate Orchard type linebacker, defensive end, kind of that hybrid type of a role. And there's a lot of optimism about his future at Utah. Uh, a lot of people in the program feel he's got some NFL potential. Uh, and so Utah picked up a good one on Saturday and followed that up with another commitment from three-star safety, Darian Stewart, uh, out of Desert Pines in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, Stewart is a free safety primarily, uh, but has potential to potentially move to uh, um, strong safety, just based on his size. He's six foot two, about 185, 190 pounds right now. He's got a longer frame. And just like Jefferson, this kid likes to hit, uh, and, and he hits with, with force. Um, so kind of improving overall as a defensive back, he's been working a lot on his game. Unfortunately, Nevada isn't playing a, a football season until the spring and he's going to be enrolling early. So he won't get that final opportunity to, uh, to play high school ball to potentially improve, you know, his stock in terms of how we rate him and that kind of thing, but who cares? He's going to be at Utah early. Morgan Scally loves this guy. Um, and and Utah picked up two really, really good players uh, this weekend and, and really kind of um, moved the needle for their class overall in this 2021 cycle. That's awesome. And, and any time Utah can get better on the, on the defensive side is, is a win for, uh, for Utah. That, that's, their, yeah. that's their bread and butter under Carl Whittingham, yeah. and we can talk about how the offense needs to be better and they need to be a, a, a more well-balanced team when you look at the offense and defense, but at the end of the day, I think when Carl Whittingham's around, he's going to, he's going to be that defensive minded coach. And I think it shows in the recruiting, you know, obviously right. the assistant coaches on the defensive side are phenomenal and they understand uh, and they're good when it comes to talking to parents and all that. But uh, people look at the university of Utah, they see Carl Whittingham, they look at how many players specifically on the defensive side that are playing in the NFL. And it just, look, it makes sense to come here and, to compete for a spot and see what you're made of. But anyway, it's great to, and when it comes to, by the way, quickly, when it comes to enrolling early, uh, any kids out there, any parents that have kids that are getting interest, I would strongly recommend you do everything you can to enroll 
early and it's not easy. I understand. Look, sometimes right. I remember uh, Travis Wilson back in the day, he was the quarterback when I played and, and we were quite close, still am. Uh, you know, he was missing out on, on high school proms and his friends were still in Santa Barbara living up that high school life. with, And he's out at spring practice in the freezing cold of Salt Lake right. City grinding and working out. Like, you know, that, that takes a certain level of commitment. But if you're serious about playing as a freshman, then you better get there early. Uh, you just right. don't see many players uh, come in with five weeks left of summer uh, before full camp and, and have that sort of an immediate impact. It, it takes time. So, um, yeah. Would you and, agree, Steve? I absolutely 100% agree with you. And you would know more about the benefits of, of enrolling early, but I think Utah has done a fantastic job of recruiting players that will enroll early. I think we were counting it up, and there are, I, th- I think I said, there are six players, five players actually, five players that will be enrolling early from this class. There are 11 commits total, and five of them are going to be enrolling early. That's a big help um, for Utah uh, moving forward to this next season, um, considering everything that's going on. And, you know, there are players that come that are coming in early um, that will play vital role in, in at certain positions. Like two of them are linebackers, another is a running back, um, and then there were two others, I, and I forget who they are, but there were five guys that are going to be enrolling early, um, and, and two of them are linebackers, uh, which is a big, big help for Utah in this cycle because they've they've got to continue to improve the depth. So you get two guys in there early. That's a fantastic way to uh, get guys up to speed. Two guys that were here early last year uh, were Ben Renfro, the safety, and, and cornerback Clark Phillips. Um, and we all know we were he- we've headed into this season with high expectations uh, for for Clark Phillips, and it's primarily because he was here early. So it, it certainly helps um, these players get prepared for an upcoming season, um, and, and just kind of helps them get into shape for what what's going to be expected of them. I guess also it's it's worth adding. Uh, last thing from me would be outside of a physical. Um, standpoint like obviously you can do everything you can to best prepare yourself for college but but from a from a working out a conditioning standpoint that just it's it is so difficult and nowadays fortunately they put these kids through what they call like a developmental routine where the first two weeks that these kids come on campus you know they're basically lifting bars that don't have weights on them even if they can lift three four hundred pound deadlifts they, they they don't allow it because they want to make sure their form is good so that they don't injure themselves a lot of these mm-hmm. kids coming from high school haven't had great teaching in the weight room and they don't exactly know how to lift weights and squat and and so they want to make sure that, that that their form in the weight room is good enough to put weight on it so that they don't risk injury which i like but outside of that you know, look, I know I came from the other side of the country, uh, uh, sorry, other side of the world. Uh, but, but, but even if you're a local kid and let's say you live down the road, just being on campus, it does require a certain amount of time to get used to. Um, you, you're in a locker room of 120 people, none of whom or very few of whom 
you, you actually, you don't know many people. And so to create a camaraderie and a chemistry and to feel like you mm. belong doesn't happen overnight. You've got to kind of get yourself out there. You know, the, the, the campus is new, so you don't know where classes are, where to get your books. If you're in the dorms, you're meeting people constantly trying to remember names, forgetting most of them. There's just so much that goes on for any age. And I'm not breaking any news here, obviously. I'm sure most most people that somewhat follow recruiting probably have already thought about this but i'm just telling you if you can get to campus early do it because it's worth it and by the time that season rolls around you'll feel light years in front of any of the freshmen you're competing with when it comes to playing time i can i can assure you that steve is there anything else you want to get to uh that was all i had uh for this week's episode but is there anything else pressing for you Nothing on the recruiting trail, at least in the immediate future. Um, have you heard anything? Um, have you ever heard anything regarding Morgan Scally? Because he's obviously been rather quiet, and maybe you haven't, so you can't answer this question, which is fine because uh, I haven't heard anything either. Look, he hasn't been all that active on social media, which doesn't yeah. surprise me, and I don't think surprises anybody. It was the reason he got in trouble in the first place. So why would you put yourself back out there? He may never come back. Who on earth knows? But. Have you, have you heard anything as to how his recruiting is going? Because I think that was the big fear from most of the fan base is, you know, once you, you're, 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 you're alleged something, uh, it kind of hovers around you for quite some time, if not forever. Is he going to be able to recruit uh, black Americans, African Americans moving forward? Have you heard anything? Yeah. Yeah. No, Darian Stewart, just the, the latest commitment to you, Utah uh, specifically cited Morgan Scally as the reason why he committed to the University of Utah. Uh, Morgan developed a really good relationship. And this is something uh, Utah's recruitment. So Utah did not get in the game. They did not officially offer him until July, until late July. So that gives you an idea that they, they weren't involved with him before the allegations. They had communication and that kind of thing, but they really didn't get involved until after um, that whole thing. And so from, I think it was, I think they offered July, July 20th is when they offered. And since that point, like Morgan Scally, Sharif Shaw, the defense staff has done a great job, but Darian Stewart, uh, mentioned Morgan Scally specifically as a reason why he committed in part because of his track record and reputation as a coach, but in large part because of the relationship that he had with coach Scally um, and coach Scally has been involved with other players that have committed to Utah uh, in, in, you know, most recently. So like Mason Tufaga, he's a guy that's been on, you know, at the top of the board for Utah for some time. And he's always kind of been considered um, a, a lean to, to Utah, but Morgan Scally played a vital role in that. Veltre Jefferson as well, kind of selling him on his role uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So yeah, you know, Morgan Scally, you know, he hasn't been active on, on social media, but he's still actively involved on the recruiting scene. And, you know, he's still going to find success. He's still going to be able to recruit. Um, and and he's he'll be, like, in my opinion, with time, like, he'll be just fine. Um, and, and it seems like most kids uh, understand kind of – I don't want to say they understand everything here. But they don't. Uh, but they, uh, they're they at least willing to, to listen to Scali. And as we've seen, that, will, that won't stop um, 
kids from committing. Like Morgan Scali has been uh, tremendous on the trail for many years, and, and he should still be able to recruit at a, at a high level moving forward. Well, that's, that, 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 that is good to hear. I, I also, by the way, for what it's worth, have heard that um, he has had to uh, alter the way he coaches, um, which, again, doesn't surprise me a ton. I, I, sure. think, I think he's probably not the only one, to be frank. I think after uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and certainly all of the unrest that the, the world, you know, has kind of fate, been faced with, um, I think we're at a point now where you've got to be very careful with, with sure. words that come out of your mouth and the tone of voice you use and the way you approach people and the way you speak to people and the respect you have for some, because if you, if you, if you don't oblige, uh, people are going to call you out and, and we're in, we're in a day and age where people just aren't as accepting, right. As, as yep. they once were. And if you don't show manners or, or, or respect, um, then I think you're going to be you're going to be in some trouble. So, so I I don't know if all of the coaches have kind of done this, but I know certainly from what I've been told, Morgan Scally's kind of changed the way. And, and when I say that, I mean he, he's just a lot more careful with with how he coaches and what he says and what comes out of his mouth. And when he shouts at a player, you know, he makes sure that there's reasoning behind why he has to shout and, and he's not shouting to offend anybody. And I think when I was there, certainly, and Morgan Scally again wasn't the only one. There were coaches. Uh, that would do this every day they would shout at players because that's how they coached and that's how they've always coached and that's how their dads coached and that's how they were coached as kids and uh, I think now people are kind of trying to figure out that uh, how to best get get through to these kids without using your, your your voice so loudly which by the way I like I think I think coaches need to be better when it comes to Coaching kids, you don't just have to shout. You know, there's a way to get yeah. through to these people. They have brains, and, and like like someone said back in the day, and if they haven't, then I'm the first to say it. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So uh, there you go, Steve. Hey, you look good today, by the way. Oh, man, I don't feel great. Like, I just <laughs> had, like, a, a pulled pork sandwich before we started. Like, I feel a little, you know, a little, a little bloated. You know, I feel like I'm a – I've added a few extra LBs since the yeah. last time recorded on, on Zoom here. So, you know, I'm staring at myself and I'm just like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Huh. What have I done? Pulled pork, by the way, very dangerous. Uh, sometimes can, very. Come, yeah, can, uh, can come out faster than they go in, which is... Dangerous. Yeah, your risk. Hey, it's good to see your face. As it is, it's beautiful to hear your voice. Uh, We will be back sooner rather than later. Hopefully later this week, Steve. Uh, We'll make up for last week, of course. Um, But later this week, we're hoping that there is some sort of schedule. So if there is a schedule, we'll be back on here. Uh, I am taking Friday off work. I would like you to know that. I'm going up to the cabin, to a cabin uh, up in Idaho. uh, Where in Idaho? Uh, By Lake Palisades. Okay. It's nice, about, man. That'll, that's a great area. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know, like an hour or something from, uh, you know where it is? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's right on the border of Wyoming and Idaho, so um, by yeah. Jackson Hole. So anyway. Yeah, it's great, man. My sister-in-law and her husband just recently purchased a cabin, and they've only been up there once, so we're going to go up there and uh, just get away, you know? Get, yeah, man. Get Unplug a little bit. We haven't done that this year, It's and that's not good because I think good people for you, need man. that. But anyway. Yeah, you need it. So we'll try to get back Thursday and uh, have some for you. But until then, Steve, uh, love you and I mean it. Be well, tell hi to the fam, and uh, we'll speak again soon.
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.